Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up, has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid. They each cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us each cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who has made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do with you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not his innocent blood And lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. 
And let me pray for us. Father God, as we have our first look at Jonah this morning, I pray that you will bless this time together and that we will get past um, as good as the children's storybook version is, that we may dive a bit deeper into this text and that you will show us more and more who you are, what it is that you desire of us, and what it is that you desire of all of those around us. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. It's in his name that we gather. It's his name that we sing. Amen. So in case you didn't get it yet, today we do begin our series in Jonah, Lost at Sea. Uh, now, was Jonah really lost at sea? No, he knew exactly where he is going, right? He knew where he was going. He knew where he should be going, where he didn't want to go. And the sailors knew where they were going. Everyone, actually, in the story seems to know exactly what they're doing. But why? Well, because they're lost. Each and every person that we meet in this story is lost at some point or another. What do I mean by that? I mean that they are separated from God. They're separated from God, and because they are separated from Him, they do not understand who it is that they are called to be, and what it is that they should be doing. And so today we begin the series in Jonah, and we may all be familiar with this book, and we may all believe that we know the person whom this book is written about. But more likely, you simply know Jonah as a character in a story. In fact, anytime I... No offense, I know that Tara's doing a good job right now, but anytime that I go to the Word and it's a very well-known and popular story, I suddenly have to forget everything that I was taught in Sunday school to make sure that I understand this story properly. Now, if you had a good Sunday school teacher, God bless you and you are a lucky person. (laughs) To understand Jonah as a person... There's only one other place that he's mentioned in the Bible, other than in the New Testament, by Jesus. And that is in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 24 to 26. You don't have to turn there. Uh, It's a bit of a complex story. You'd have to read a lot of context to understand it. But here's what we see happening in 2 Kings chapter 14. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord speaking to one of Israel's worst kings. And that's quite a large statement, isn't it? Israel had many bad kings. And yet he is there prophesying in the courts of one of the kings. And the situation is this. He is working under and prophesying to a very corrupt king. A corrupt king who is also ferocious in battle and uses strong military tactics to get what he wants instead of relying upon the Lord. And so Jonah comes to him and says, yes, you are going to go out into battle, you're going to win the battle, and you're going to win back all the land that you are owed and that was stolen from us. Now this sounds well and good, especially for King Jeroboam II, except for we also see Amos prophesying to this king. And the situation is that Amos prophesies the exact opposite for this king. Now, a very simple explanation would be that 
maybe Jonah was correct and that if Jeroboam had repented, then that would be true. And if he didn't, then Amos's was correct. Either way, no matter what the circumstance was, we see Jonah speaking a positive prophecy to a corrupt king and we're left with a little bit of suspicion about his character and his intentions. There's something not quite right about this messenger of God. Just maybe. But there are also many aspects of Jonah that may seem odd to us. If you've ever truly thought deeply about this book, um, then you may have already noticed some of these things. Or I think I sent out uh, a version of the audio of Jonah chapter 1 that you could listen to from your WhatsApp, okay? Take advantage of that. But here's some things that we begin to notice about Jonah. Many of the other prophets, um, we don't really know who they are. We don't know much about them. Or if we do know anything about them, we know that their character is that of a godly person for the most part. However, here we're hearing about Jonah, who would appear to be a disobedient prophet, who happens also to be prejudiced strongly against anyone that is not like him, and also strongly nationalistic, Israel or die. And this is the man who is called to preach. We also see that he is called to go out to a group of murderous and merciless savages. Which I hear savages and I think of Vikings. Real mud of the earth type people, right? In fact, these Assyrians, these Ninevites, they were actually quite civilized people. It just so happens that they were brutal as well. That they would often um, steal not only land and goods, but wives, and they would dismember people. Um, There are many ancient stories of the Assyrians who, when they wanted to meet their enemy, they would first cut off their arms and then hold their arms and shake their hands. Very gross, right? Savages. Civilized savages. We also see in this story that while acting disobediently, Jonah is... Something strange happens now. Swallowed by a sea monster. Okay? Now, you've probably seen pictures or heard it told that it is a whale. Uh, The text says a great fish. It could also be translated really any sort of large aquatic beast. Okay? So if you want to let your imagination run wild and say it's some sort of seafaring dinosaur, that's fine too. The text actually doesn't give us a great picture of what this beast is. And at the end of it all, Jonah preaches, but he preaches a very withholding gospel. He's holding something back from these people that God has sent him to. And yet this withholding good news also brings salvation to these people and their cows too. Maybe none of those things faze you. Maybe it's just the fish. Maybe the fish bothers you. It bothers a lot of people. Now, we all know that when a man catches a fish and he says, it was huge, it was gigantic. Unless it's sitting on a plate in front of you, you probably shouldn't believe them, right? We know how fishermen can be. And yet, what about when a fish 
catches a man. Our ears start perking up at that point. Whether you have friends that live in Australia or you've heard enough stories from here in the Western Cape, typically for us, it's a great white, right? And we hear the story and we start to ask questions. What beach was it at? Which town? How far out did they go? How can I avoid getting eaten by a shark? (laughs) In a similar way, it says that God appointed the fish to swallow and to carry and to vomit Jonah out. In a similar way, it seems as though God has appointed this great fish for us as well. For us to ask those same questions. Hold on, where was he supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? What should I not do? Where should I go? Where should I not go? How can I avoid being swallowed up by this kind of fate? How can I avoid my heart being hardened to the Word of God? All questions that Jonah was probably asking in the belly of that fish. And we can be asking as well. Now, there's three things that we should know. I'll give you the big idea first. Big idea for the whole series. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that salvation is yours in Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is what Jonah says at the end of his prayer. It's what we read together this morning. And for us, we know that that salvation is found in Jesus. Three things to know before we get tossed into the deep end of Jonah here. The first of which is, we've already talked about a little bit, Jonah may not be the person that you expect him to be. I'm going to be hard on Jonah. Maybe I'm too hard on Jonah, but the reason why I want to be hard on Jonah is because you are to be putting yourself into Jonah's shoes as we read this story. You're supposed to be putting yourself into Jonah's shoes. We've already seen maybe the shaded prophetic career that Jonah had in Two Kings. But I did also say that he was nationalistic and prejudiced. Today, we would call this person racist. That's what we would call him. Now back then, racism didn't exist the way that it does today. What did exist was prejudice and tribalism. See, Jonah was from a particular tribe of people that believed in a particular God and were meant to live in a particular way. And so when it came to sharing this God who was supposed to be blessing his people with others that were evil, filthy savages, that tribe over there, Jonah said, no way. I'm sticking with my tribe. Why? Well, maybe you have a tribe of your own, and I don't just mean literally, okay? Maybe you have a group of people that you find affinity with, that you share things with, that you share life with, and you realize that when you step outside of that smaller group of people whom you know and love and trust, you step outside of it and you're with another group of people and you suddenly realize, there's no trust here. 
There's not the same kind of love and affection. We don't value the same things. We don't like doing the same things. We don't watch the same movies. We don't play the same sport. We don't listen to the same music, whatever the case may be. You find yourselves in little tribes. We're all, most of us, tribal in a sense. And we look over the fence at someone else and we say, those people, those people, that tribe over there, can't even stand to be near them. Why would I ever want to share something good with them? So Jonah himself was violently tribalistic. Also, Jonah is a minor prophet, okay? Now, I remember in my Bible class in Zuhithle, when it came to the minor prophets, it was believed that this meant that they were shorter than the rest of the prophets. And Jonah is typically pictured as a shorter man. I don't think that that's necessarily true. However, it doesn't mean that they're shorter. It does mean that their books are shorter. Um, it means that they are carrying less of an expansive message. Typically, they have more localized messages about a particular group of people, about a particular thing that's going on in Israel or Judah and towards a particular group of people that are outside of them. And Jonah is that. He's, he's minor in the sense that he is carrying the good news to one particular group of people at a particular time that as we're going to see, it does fit into the rest of Scripture, and yet not in the same way that, say, Isaiah does, which is often called the fifth gospel, okay? Um, also, Jonah is literature. And when I say that Jonah is literature, it means that it has intention. This book was written purposefully. If you were with us when we were going through the book of Ruth, we saw that Ruth was a very, what I would call, a tight narrative. That is, a condensed story that has a particular message that it wants to teach. Okay? Um, Ruth specifically um, was kind of there to show us not just a great love story and a biblical love story, a story of how God saves, but it was also to look at the grand narrative of Scripture, of Old and New Testament, and it's there to say, this is where David comes from. Thus, this is where Jesus comes from. And this is an example of God saving a non-Jewish person. Looking forward to a time when God would be saving many non-Jewish people. No, Jonah is like that. It's a tight narrative. It's a story that is condensed. Were there probably many other things going on in the story that we don't know about? Did Jonah really decide that very second to get on a boat to go somewhere? I don't know. What we do know is that the story was written with a purpose. Also, if you're ever tempted to laugh at the story of Jonah, much like we did at the animated video, you should laugh, okay? Because this is a satirical story. Now, if you don't know what the word satire means, um, it means that it's something that uses humor 
an irony to show how ridiculous someone, some idea, or some other thing is. Um, Peter, I'll pick on you since you're in the room today. The British do satire very well, okay? Um, But also, if you don't know what I'm talking about still, if you've ever picked up a newspaper, especially while Jacob Zuma was still president, we had some of the best political satire cartoons about Jacob Zuma. Sometimes absolutely inappropriate, okay? And yet, we laugh. Why? Because it showed the ridiculousness of a particular political situation, right? In parts, this is what Jonah is doing. When we hear that cows are wearing sackcloth and ashes, this is unique behavior. Why is this unique behavior? Well, because cows don't wear clothes. It's funny. It's funny because everyone seems to understand the purpose of repentance other than the one person that should, and that is Jonah. Also, because it's literature, we see a lot of repetition, especially in the first chapter, but throughout. We see this idea of giant or great come up quite often, right? So Nineveh is a great city. There was a great fish. There was um, a great storm. Over and over again, we see this word great. We see uh, the Hebrew word for hurled, okay? Vomit is one of those things, but Jonah is also thrown. He's hurled into the sea. Um, The rowers, when they're rowing, they're straining at the oars, and this is the word hurled again. They're working hard, and we see this word come up over and over and over again. And then lastly, what we're going to see is that repentance, which is a gift from God, pleases God, and judgment is removed when people turn away from their sin. And we'll come back to that in just a second. So if you haven't noticed, I'm doing more of an introduction this week, but we are going to get to Jonah here in the last couple of minutes, okay? Here's three things that you should be expecting as we study the book of Jonah together. The first of which is that you should see the actions of and hear from our compassionate God. You should see the actions of a compassionate God and you should be hearing from a compassionate God. Specifically, the end of chapter 4. We'll see just how compassionate God is. Jonah, though, knows how compassionate God is. He quotes from Exodus 34 in chapter 4 of Jonah. He quotes from Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. The Lord passed before him, talking about Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Jonah quotes this. God says, do you not know how merciful I am? Jonah says, yes, Exodus 34, I know how merciful you are. I know how gracious you are. Also, another thing that we should expect to see in Jonah is that we should see the lostness of all people, but how also God's people are especially prone to it. Speaking of Israel, yes, but speaking of you and me as well. 
Jonah very vividly pictures the heart of mercy God has for all people groups of the world. Even those that are known for their godlessness, like the Assyrians, like the Ninevites. But, if only they will repent, God's compassion is available to any person of any tribe, nation, or tongue, any ethnicity. And then lastly, one more time, as we've already said, repentance, which is a gift from God, pleases God, and judgment is removed when that happens. Um, My favorite theologian uh, likes to say it this way, the love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. In this case, repentance. Also, one of my favorite Bible verses um, comparing Israel to, uh, to a stubborn donkey. Uh, Jeremiah 31.18 says, it's the prophet speaking on behalf of all of Judah, and he says, turn me, and I will be turned. Repent me, and I will be repented. Now here's a question. How should you expect to be changed? as we study the book of Jonah together. Look, anytime we study God's word, we should expect to be changed. We know the verse, the word of the Lord does not come back void, right? It doesn't come back fruitless. But the question is, what kind of fruit is it producing in each and every one of us? One theologian said it this way, that whenever the word of God goes out, it produces one of two things. Either it creates a softened and repentant heart that turns to Christ, or it further creates a hardened heart and a heart of despise, a heart of enemy that we carry towards God. So, Anytime we hear the word, we should expect to be changed. And specifically, as we study Jonah together, we should expect to be turned from our spiritual pride. We should expect to be turned from our spiritual pride. This is going to be one of Jonah's biggest issues that we see. Not only does he not want to take good news to anyone else, he wants to keep it for himself. Why? Because he is of God's people, and they are godless. I deserve it because God chose me. They don't deserve it. Which we all know, as we studied Isaiah together, as we continually see pop up in the epistles and in the New Testament at large, God intends to pull in people with the good news from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And he does not stop in that. Whether it's those that would appear to be godly on the outside or utterly godless, Christ is pulling them to himself. With that said, we should also, through this study, seek to show compassion towards others especially those that 
seemingly don't deserve to hear that good news. Those people that are clearly too far gone and too far spread out from the Lord. And you should be wanting to know more about the God who bends all of creation for your salvation. You know, Jonah here um, is an interesting person because there's many things that happen, many circumstances that God puts him in that totally change his course, right? Um, Next week, we're going to dive into chapters 1 and 2. But just to give you a, a brief look at what I'm talking about here, Jonah goes out on the ocean, and then the sailors look at him dumbfounded when he says, oh, my God, yeah, the maker of the land and the sea. And sailors who know the sea well are thinking to themselves, why would you run from the God that made the sea by going to the sea? That doesn't make any sense, right? And that's exactly what God does. He turns the sea on Jonah. And then in a game of chance, by casting of lots, the lots point to Jonah. Right? And when Jonah's overboard, and he's really thinking, now I'm dead for sure, thank God, God somehow has appointed a fish that can carry Jonah in its body and then spit it back up in a couple of days. That tells you something about what God thought of Jonah in that moment, to get vomited up by a whale, does it not? Or that God's word, no matter how poorly preached, would so effectively change people's hearts that even the cows would appear to be getting saved. And who is this all for? Is it for the Ninevites? Sure. Is it for you and me? Sure. You know who's else, who else this was for? It was for Jonah. God was moving and working and bending all of creation for Jonah's salvation. And Jonah was too blind to see it. God has done this for you and for me as well. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and it is yours in Jesus. Jesus, being fully God, took on full humanness. Something that is inexplicable. It's hard to understand. Our minds can't wrap around how these two things can be true. That he is true God and true man. Creation is bent (laughs) towards your salvation. Jesus goes to a cross and dies. Throughout the entirety of his ministry, he is doing miraculous things to show people who he is. And yet they refuse to see it, as we saw in Mark's gospel. And yet, out of seemingly nothing, he creates more fish and more bread He's bending creation for those people's salvation. He goes to a cross and he dies. And then he rises again. All of creation is bending to show you that in Christ, 
you have salvation, that he is your sacrifice. In Matthew chapter, 18, or chapter 12, verses 38 to 42, we read this. And this is in the midst of the scribes and the Pharisees blatantly ignoring what Jesus is actually teaching, right? So a good thing to say, let's say you're in a conversation with someone at work and you have some hard words to share. What's, what's a good thing to say? A good thing would be to say, don't hear what I'm not saying, hear what I am saying, right? <laughs> and this is what Jesus was saying over and over again to the Pharisees. I'm going to teach this, I'm teaching this, I'm teaching this. I'm repeating myself, I'm repeating myself, this is who I am, this is what grace is, this is what salvation looks like. And all the Pharisees are thinking, so you're saying that you're a Sabbath breaker. Oh, so you're saying that you're, you're stealing the name of God. Oh, so you're saying, right, don't hear what I'm not saying. That's what Jesus has been teaching over and over again. Um, and some of the scribes now in Matthew chapter 12 come up to him, some of the Pharisees, and they answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you after all the signs that he's already given. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Wait a second. <laughs> what sign? What sign of the prophet Jonah? For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment, that is the day of the Lord. The apocalyptic day, right? With this generation, all of you who are doubting everything that I'm saying, and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What's Jesus talking about? Well, in essence, he's speaking to them the same way that God spoke to Jonah. He's saying, Fine, Jonah, you don't want to receive my grace or understand who I am and how I work and the fact that the calling that I gave to Israel to give the good news to all the nations of the world, the fact that you're not understanding that and you want to hoard it and keep it to yourself, I'm going to show you this godless group of people that will repent and be saved. And now, we can read Jonah and we can say, well, they repented and they were saved from that day of judgment, but we know that Nineveh gets destroyed later. That's written down. That's historical. True. Okay. We all die. That's true. Honestly, and let's be honest, this is a big fish tale, Jonah is, isn't it? It's the tale of a big fish. It's hard to believe Actually, I, I think it's easy to believe. I love it, okay? But for many, it's hard to believe. And yet what Jesus is saying here um, confirms for us not just the story of what Jonah went and did, 
but the fact that this repentance of those people in Nineveh wasn't just an outward repentance that saved them from the, at the end of 40 days when they would be killed and destroyed, but this was a real repentance. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you think that you can keep this good news all to yourself and that you can add law upon law and make it more and more difficult for people to receive that good news. But it's not going to work. If you will not be saved, I will save Nineveh. If you will not cry out to the Lord, if you will not be the true Israel, I can create rocks over here. These rocks can be the children of Abraham. This is the sign of Jonah that Jesus is speaking about. Pharisees, if you're too stubborn to understand who I am for you, you've missed the point. And one day, that godless group of people that Jonah went and preached to and later they were destroyed, they're going to rise up on the day of judgment and they're going to say, why didn't you believe? What were you doing? You had the good news. You gave it to us. Why didn't you believe? Jesus continues on, um, and it becomes a little bit, we'd have to go into a lot more context, but verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, She went and went to Solomon's temple, learned from Solomon, learned God's laws. We could go back and look at that story. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. In this passage, what Jesus is setting up for us is that prophet, I'm a better prophet than Jonah. I'm the greater prophet who's going to not just go into a fish for three days, but I'm going to go into the belly of the earth for three days, and then I'm going to come out on the other side. That he's greater than that temple that Solomon built where pagan rulers were coming from around the world to come and hear the good news of who God was. And he was better than their King Solomon who did so many great things and gave them the rubble that their temple was now built with. Jesus is in effect saying, He is our prophet, priest, and king, building His church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. And to that, we should say, Jesus Christ is Lord, and we praise His holy name forever. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about Him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.